Welcome to Attenuation, a weekly podcast where two friends come together to drink beer, discuss beer styles and trends, and just generally ruminate on the meaning of life, aka beer. If you enjoy your time with us, we invite you to become a weekly listener and subscribe to the podcast. Without further ado, here is this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of Attenuation, a beer podcast. My name is... Man- <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're starting over. Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of Attenuation, a beer podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm joined by my best friend since eighth grade, Stephen. That's me. <laughs> oh, crap. Hello. Hello, I didn't write it down. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you need a script, Stephen. <laughs> I'm going to make you a cue card. Oh my gosh. Yeah, can you just hold it up? And then I'll hold it up. Because we can see each other, so. That's me is at the end of the podcast. Yeah, you got to do hello in the beginning, and that's me at the end. That's okay. We're going to leave it in. People like it like this. People are, like, getting sick of this trope that we can't get there. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a trope. We just can't can't do it. Yeah, this is just our patheticness. No, it's because we leave it in. We leave it in for the joy of the listener. Not an overly polished product. Somewhat polished, but <laughs> I do a, a lot of editing on the back end. <laughs> <laughs> it's semi, it's a semi-precious yeah. metal. But I can only work with so much, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay, so today we are covering the cost of craft beer, and we'll explore that from a number of different angles. But before we start that, we got to do the best part of the podcast, and that's drinking beer. Yeah. So I will yeah, introduce... Yeah, the, the meme that goes along with this episode is me just throwing money, the kid throwing money out the window. That's... Yes. Because <laughs> that's just, me and craft beer. <laughs> you just spend all your money on craft beer. That's awesome. Uh, okay, so today I'm going to be drinking a dessert stout. Surprise, surprise. This is called Warming Hut Memoirs. It's from Humble Forager. They're based in Wisconsin. And this is a 12% imperial pastry stout. And it says it's a pecan pie pastry stout. So it says they added pecans, vanilla, cinnamon, maple syrup, and brown sugar. So I think this is going to be a very sweet one. Yeah, that's one you eat after dinner for sure. Or you drink. You don't even eat it. a dessert beverage. And this is pouring in inky black. My gosh, it's like dripping. It's like so thick. Yeah, it is like ink. And then it has a super minimal, very dark brown head, but it's 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 very minimal and it's immediately dissipating. Ooh, it smells like pecans. (laughs) Believe it or not, pecans like black coffee, caramel, vanilla, cinnamon, and just that real dark malts. Okay, I'm, I'm excited to try this one. I'm going to start tasting this one, get some tasting notes, and I'll let Stephen introduce his beer of the night. I am drinking. Uh, it's called Where Is Tomorrow from Anchorage Brewing. This is a IPA brewed and dry hopped with Motueka hops, Nelson Sauvin hops, and Phantasm Powder. You got one? I got some Phantasm Powder beer. Oh, I'm so jealous. You should be. I'm excited. <laughs> I want to know if it's worth the hype. 
So this Phantasm powder is coming out of New Zealand. And so it's really cool that they paired it with Motueka and Nelson Southern hops because those are both New Zealand hops. Motueka, actually, I talked about last week in my favorite beers, the Mage from Anchorage Brewing that was that made my top 10 list. Oh, yeah. That was, that was brewed with Motueka hops. Um, that one has a very specific, uh, very unique lime characteristic, which is why they paired it with the lime zest in that IPA. So anyway, so this should be uh, the Nelson Sauvin hops give like a white grape flavors, wine grape, fruitiness, and like a lot of people describe it as gooseberry, crushed gooseberries. I don't if you've ever had crushed gooseberries. I'm not familiar. No, (laughs) I love when the flavor gets parsed out as crushed gooseberry. I'm like, okay. (laughs) I couldn't like you. I couldn't even tell you what a gooseberry looks like. I love that, though. Okay, you're a true beer snob when you're like, oh, I'm getting crushed gooseberries in this one. So, again, the point of the Phantasm powder is to amp up the aromas and the flavors. I guess it would be easier to do that if you had, like, a non-Phantasm powder version and then a Phantasm powder version. I don't know. but Yeah, do a side-by-side. Yeah. Yeah. So, very nice hazy IPA. Pale straw color. Very minimal head on this one, too. And I kind of poured it hard, and it's a very effervescent, um, fast-dissipating head on this one. I can smell it from quite a ways away, though, so... It's that Phantasm powder. Definitely the Phantasm powder. Okay, so my nose notes on this one are um, pineapple up very, very strong pineapple up front. A little bit of orange rind, and definitely a little bit of that that white wine smell, too. What are you tasting over there? So I'm going to give initial tasting notes, but then I also want to say before I give a rating on this, I think it's still too warm. Or sorry, it's still too cold because I pulled it right out of the fridge. So I made the classic mistake that I said I wasn't going to do last time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I should have pulled this out like 10 minutes ago because I want to, I'm not 100% sure if I like it, but I think I'll like it as it warms up. But it is true to its description. I'm getting a lot of pecan, caramel, chocolate, and cinnamon up front. It's pretty sweet, though, and I don't know. <laughs> we'll see if I can drink a whole can of this. Um, it's also 12%, so that is that can be quite the adventure. Um, so I'm going to reserve judgment on this one until it gets a little bit warmer, and then I'll give you my thumbs up or thumbs down. Tell me again, because I never pay attention. Um, who's the brewer? It's Humble Forager, Humble Forager. and they are from Wisconsin. Yeah, I've actually cool. never heard of them before. This is just, I like saw this on Tavor and it's a dessert stout, which I really like. So um, just went for it. Nice. Well, my beer is only 6%, so I can drink twice as much as you. Yeah, and then we'll be on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to now jump into it. I was so mesmerized by Jason talking that I forgot to start drinking this. But we can edit all this dead, all this time out because... It's a very polished podcast. It's, it's semi, semi-polished. semi Okay, this wasn't very good at first. I'm just dull, like, bitter flavors coming across first. Like, it wasn't... I don't know. Maybe that's that sort of, like, dry white wine flavors coming through. But then there's a really, really good pineapple finish. Really good. Like, lingering that, pineapple finish. Like, still lingering. Is that phantasm powder? <laughs> magic (laughs) you know what's interesting it's very drinkable there is this sort of upfront 
dryness and bitterness to it, but it sweetens out at the end. And uh, like I said, it gives you a nice, great pine- lingering pineapple finish. It's not very complicated. It's pretty simple. I was I was kind of hoping I would get a little bit more lime from the Motuega hops, but I don't know. I don't know if I could say that the Phantasm powder is really doing anything. Like I said, it's hard to know unless you're comparing to a non-Phantasm powder beer. Uh, I did s- smell it from pretty far away right when I opened it, so it may be boosting the aromas more than the flavors. Yeah, I mean, this is solid IPA. Um, it's a. It'd be interesting to do it with, like, hops I'm more familiar with. So mm. Maybe, like, a Citra and Galaxy hopped beer with Phantasm powder would be interesting to see. So what you're saying is they need to make a pseudo sue with Phantasm powder. Yeah, yeah, right. And I think they're going to start doing that. You're going to start seeing that for sure. That'd be really cool. That I agree. you got to do a side-by-side. Because I don't know if you're going to be able to tell in isolation. Yeah, because I think you did. You mentioned too that you saw that other half is doing a, a phantasm powder version of their mosaic dream or whatever. Yeah, their double mosaic dream. I think yeah. they're doing. So, so think, that'd be perfect if you could get the two side by side. Then you could yeah. really tell if the phantasm powder is doing anything. Yeah, I think that's something you're going to start seeing now with this ingredient. If if it catches on, is just, um, you know, iterations of a already established beer with phantasm powder added. So. Yeah, just put another spin on it. So we'll have to see if it's just hype and marketing and a trend or if it's actually going to be worth it. Like when they say double dry hopped and you're like, <laughs> what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I'm glad you got to try one. I guess the jury is still out on Phantasm Powder, but we'll keep our eye on it closely. I mean, all, I'm all about just saying I've had something. But I think there's more on that later. Huh? <laughs> I'm like a I'm like the name dropper of beer, you know. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I've had that. Oh yeah, that's I know really, that beer. <laughs> that's funny. I think every craft beer person is a little bit like that though. Well, I mean, I think when you get into a hobby, you just you want to know stuff and you want to yeah. feel like you, you want to feel like you know the most about your thing. You gotta impress your other nerdy friends. Yeah. With your with your peak beer experiences. Right. All right, well, those are two good beers. Oh, wait, so are you giving that a thumbs up or are you giving that a thumbs down? Or He's giving, he's drinking it and giving me a thumbs up simultaneously. So that's a thumbs up. Yeah, I like this. Like, I don't, I mean, again, it's not blowing me away, but it's a really solid, like, drinkable hazy IPA that, I mean, I love pineapple. Mm-hmm. I always like when I get pineapple notes in my beer, so it's good. Nice. Cool. I think I'm going to give this one a thumbs up, but I'm going to wait a little longer. But I can't wait too long because it's 12%. And (laughs) at the end of this can, I will give it a thumbs up because I'll be in a good mood. Yeah, right? (laughs) So, yeah, I got to rate early. All right. So that was our drinking beer segment. Um, I actually have some beer news for us this week. Usually it's Stephen bringing the news, but I saw an article and I got pretty excited because Sierra Nevada is making a new version of Torpedo that's going to be called Atomic Torpedo. And it says, this is our East Coast, West Coast hop collusion, unleashing the joint power of two styles, juicy East Coast IPAs and dank West Coast IPAs. Fused in this double IPA, their hop flavors span lush fruit, sticky pine, and floral tones. It's our classic IPA transformed, hazy, yet assertive. So, yeah, it's going to be hazy version of Torpedo. And I already love Torpedo, so I'm really looking forward to this. 
And I think this is called, I was discussing this with Stephen a little bit before the podcast, and he was saying these are called new school IPAs. Yep, seen it, starting to see a few of those around now. Yeah, so they're kind of blending those two styles together. When this comes out, I'll definitely try to get my hands on it, and it'd be something that'd be fun to try um, side by side with regular Torpedo, just to kind of see the changes that um, they're introducing for this version. Yeah, I mean, in some ways it kind of makes sense. They showcase malts a little bit more, uh, like a West Coast IPA does, and then, but more, you know, dry hopping and and no clarification, so you get that kind of hazy, less bitterness kind of thing. So. Yeah, should be good. Okay, so we can head into the main topic, and that is the cost of craft beer. So we're going to approach this from a couple of different angles. One is on the consumer end, and that's, you know, you, the beer connoisseur, purchasing your beer and the different ways you can go about purchasing it. And then on the tail end, we're going to cover a little bit about the economics of making beer and some of the things that we've seen happen over time in that arena. I know one of the things Stephen wanted to mention first, and I agree, this is something that's an interesting thing you can do, uh, but will will increase the price of a beer, is um, purchasing singles versus purchasing six-packs. Yeah, so I'm one of those people, I, I don't like to drink a lot of things twice, and that's just mostly from a standpoint of this is very much a hobby for me, and I want to try lots of different things. And it's usually hard for me to commit to a six-pack of something, especially if I've never tried it before. So grabbing a six-pack of something and then drinking one and being like, eh, that wasn't that good. <laughs> now I have five more in my fridge. So especially if it's a sour, because ain't nobody going to drink that here except for me. <laughs> uh, so would you classify yourself a little bit of an experience seeker? Yes, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I already said I'm, an, I'm a name dropper, so I like it. <laughs> I just like to have tried, you know, especially because, you know, as you start to become known as like the beer guy or, you know, the the guy with the beer podcast, you know, people ask you about like, oh, have you tried this or have you had this? And I don't know. I like to be <laughs> it always feels good when I'm like, oh, yeah, I had that. Yeah, it's pretty good. You know, like I just I like trying a lot of stuff and I'm um, trying a lot of local stuff. And again, I just don't like committing to large packs of it one type of beer so i definitely end up spending more per beer because i i don't buy in bulk yeah so this is a definitely a more expensive way to go i think a lot of places we talked about this a little bit before um if you're trying to get into craft beer and just want to try a lot of stuff but some grocery stores and some alcohol stores will let you just pull one individual beer out of a six-pack they're just going to charge you more for it. So it's a more expensive way to purchase, but you can get a lot more variety. And this is something I still love to do, like the Total Wine. They have a whole section of just single beers, and they even have a little cardboard six-packs, like the generic six-pack holder. And you just grab one of those and just fill it with six random beers, and you have your own custom six-pack. But they're yeah, expensive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I paid two fifty three dollars for one 12-ounce can. You know, which is pretty expensive. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you count. Because what's that? Three times six, eighteen dollar six pack. Yeah, so you're definitely paying a premium to do that. But again, you're getting six six different beers rather than six of the same beer, so it can be worth it. Yeah, and I mean, I think truthfully, it is kind of saving me money because if I bought a six pack, even if it was ten dollars, uh, and I only get the one beer at three, you know, it's saving me seven dollars really because. If I don't like it, those five beers are going to sit in my fridge and probably never get drank. So really, I do myself a favor 
buying this just the one can. No, Stephen, is this rationalization or? Uh... <laughs> you just let me be me, okay? <laughs> I also have another important question for you. Yeah. Do you ever get imposter syndrome <laughs> about being a beer expert? <laughs> I definitely felt that for sure, plenty of times. <laughs> you know, people. What someone asked me one time, what's the difference between a porter and a stout? And I was like, uh... <laughs> Oh, I should know this. <laughs> I don't know the difference between a border and a stout. It's my favorite style. Yeah. I think historically I mean, there was a difference. Yeah, um, I mean, historically, like, if you want to go, if you're going down the the line of, like, darker and darker beers, I think porter is just a tad bit lighter than a stout. But your flavor profiles are going to be very similar. Yeah, and I feel like there used to be more of a difference, and now it's there's not really a difference, so... Yeah. It's kind of used, though it almost seems like the word is used interchangeably at this point. Well, it's like you're, you know, the difference between a brown and a stout is a wider, is wider than the difference between a brown and a porter. You know what I mean? Like when you start to get more separated between styles or, or maltiness or whatever level of maltiness, then you're going to see a difference. But when you're comparing two next, right next to each other on the scale and like with the way brewers blur the lines of what they call their beers you know i, I drink a brown that that uh, dogfish had brown that i would never characterize as a brown you know it was way more uh way stronger and darker so oh know. yeah i remember i saw you pour that into a glass and it did not <laughs> look like a brown beer yeah so brewers blur the, blur the lines of what they call their beers and how they categorize their beers and uh, it's not an exact science. So, yeah, so I guess the point is that, yes, I do feel like an imposter sometimes. I mean, I certainly felt like an imposter at the very beginning when I was hanging out with you. And I was just like, oh, my God, this guy knows way more than I do. I never felt like you were an imposter, Steve, <laughs> if that makes you feel any better. Well, that's good. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I asked you about imposter syndrome in the middle of our podcast. Oh, it's okay. All right, so... I mean, people already heard that we're talking about the cost of craft beer, and they're just like, they already turned the episode off anyway, so we can talk about anything. <laughs> it's just you and me. <laughs> That's really funny. Oh, next we're going to talk about... Well, do you want to touch any more on, like, buying singles versus six-packs? Well, I think, too, one of the things that ends up getting me in costing me a lot of money is um getting beers i can't get locally you know mm. and um i know we'll probably talk a little bit more a little bit more later about buying online but sometimes that's where you have to go to get beers that you can't get anywhere else and you're always going to pay a premium because you're going to pay a premium for the beer and for the shipping so yeah it's very expensive to get beer shipped so yeah that will definitely add cost okay well, yeah, we can, we'll talk about that when we get to local versus online. I did want to cover a topic that's kind of near and dear to my heart. And I've covered a little bit. I've talked about it a little bit in the past, but I call this seeking price point. And this is kind of like, how much do I really want to spend on a beer? Because, well, one, I will say craft beer is a great hobby to have. Now, everything is relative, so it really depends. You know, everyone's in their own unique position. They have more or less money to spend on their hobbies. But craft beer is a fun hobby because you can get some of the best beer in the world for about $7 a bottle, <laughs> which is pretty cool. That's not true of, like, wine. Like, I'm in the relativistic world. <laughs> I'm never mm-hmm. going to experience, like, the best wines because they're just 
you're looking at hundreds, hundreds to thousands of dollars a bottle. Um, and there's not really anything like that in the beer world, which is kind of nice. Um, I mean, I live pretty close to the Russian River, so I can get a bottle of Pliny the Elder for about seven bucks. That's one of the best beers in the world, in my opinion. So seven bucks is a, I mean, it's still expensive relative to other beers you might buy, or if you just want to buy like a six pack of like Coors, it's still expensive, but it's nice that it's not. It's, it's it's attainable for most people. They could get a seven dollar bottle of beer. Definitely, um, I think. I, mean, I think the the most expensive beer I've ever seen listed. Yeah. Not secondary market or anything, but just listed from the brewer was a hundred dollars for a twelve ounce bottle. Do you remember what that was? No. <laughs> I wonder what it was. That's so expensive. Yeah. Um. I think it was a uh, some sort of barley wine stout mix. Okay. Or something and. It's just, I think, just a product of, well, hype for sure, exclusivity, and aging, you know, the time they spent on the beer. Yeah, aging is always going to add cost. And, you know, that's probably part of the reason wine is so expensive. There's a huge age component, which is pretty absent for most beer, except when you get into, like, barrel-aged stouts and barley wines and stuff like that. But, yeah, I was, honestly, what comes to my mind, I, I've never seen a $100 bottle of beer um, in person, but I've seen... <laughs> The brewery <laughs> tends to be like when I go to the we have the, a local beer shop that's kind of like more high end. That's very small. It's like a hole in the wall, and they carry a lot of beers from the brewery. And those are those can be like thirty dollars for a bottle, which is to me has passed the price point. So I mean, I'm gonna use. It really depends on the style. So this is a pretty rough example. But if we think about like Pliny the Elder, uh, you know, in that bottle how much that costs seven dollars or whatever and you can do it by ounce but um if i'm looking at a seven dollar beer that i consider one of the better beers in the world and then i'm looking at a bottle of beer that's like thirty dollars is it really four times better i mean probably not you do get a lot of there's diminishing returns involved so you do hit a point where like i think like maybe like yeah bombers aren't as popular anymore but i think right around like eight to ten dollars for a bomber is about what I want to pay because you can get some pretty amazing beer for eight to ten dollars for a bomber. And then I was actually it was interesting because we were doing some calculations because sometimes it's really insightful to compare the price of a bomber and extrapolate out how much a six pack of so the same volume, but if you pay the price per ounce that you pay for the bomber. So I made a little spreadsheet. So an eight dollar bomber, if you were to buy that's twenty two ounces. If you were to buy 72 ounces of beer, which is what a six-pack is, for the same price, it'd be $26. So, like, when's the last time you paid $26 for a six-pack? Have you ever done that? Never. <laughs> yeah, I've never done that. You know what's really crazy? Because we were talking about, um, in the pre-roll, we were kind of just discussing the topic, and we were talking about the Dissident, which is $16 for a bomber. Do you know how much that is, Stephen, for a six-pack? Uh, no. So... At what, 50 six, bucks? I'm trying to yeah, think. Yeah, it's, it's $52. So bombers are a little bit... Like if you were to get a six-pack of like 12-ounce cans or something? Yeah, if you're paying the same price per ounce. Per ounce. Gotcha. Yeah. If you wanted to buy 72 ounces of that, so a six-pack, at that price per ounce, you'd be paying $50. So I think bombers are a little bit... It's interesting because they're not as popular anymore, but I guess I never really considered how expensive they are. If you do calculate how much you're paying per ounce, 
they can be quite expensive. So it's something you might want to look at. I mean, I'm a huge nerd and I like to do math and numbers. So this is a good like rank, ranking up there with like printer ink per ounce. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Like the, some of the Earth's most precious resources, <laughs> printer ink. But yeah, something you can do. What's way more popular now is the four pack of cans. And those are those are usually like six uh, or are those 16 ounce yeah, cans? 16 ounce yeah, cans. yeah 16 you've seen that a lot now. So you can do the same. You can kind of do the same calculation, like just divide. If you're buying one, divide the price by 16. And that's what you're paying per ounce. Um, and you kind of you can extrapolate that out like what I really pay. And obviously, the, when you're buying smaller quantities, it's just going to be more expensive than if you're buying a six pack. But some of the packaging it seems to exist to obscure the actual price that you're paying sometimes. So that's a very long winded <laughs> version. That's a very long winded example to say. And I think Stephen might take a little different approach to the hobby. Um, but I do kind of like I'm kind of obsessed with finding like the best value. What can you get that's, you're getting something that's very good, but you're not paying too much for it. Because sometimes I think some of the money that you're paying is going into the hype or going into um, the name. Like, oh, it's from this brewery, so it's got to be that good, you know? Um, and if you strip that all away, like, what are you really getting? Yeah, but... I 100% buy the hype. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really good. See, that makes for an interesting dynamic on the podcast because we come, with, we come from two different ideologies so elaborate on what you mean by by the hype i just i totally i i guess i shouldn't say totally but i usually will buy into the hype of like a new style or a new beer or uh a brewer like a beer from a you know like an established brewer or certain breweries uh with like higher status or i mean that's how i got into like pseudo sue which is an amazing beer it's one of my favorite beers of all time so it's like well deserved but like you know it's number two in the world number two pale ale in the world like i want to drink that i want to drink like the best expressions of every style because it's too because it's number two in the world yeah yeah that makes sense i mean and people will say this and you'll hear this a lot too when um especially people get all up in arms about the exclusivity of pliny the younger they're like oh why don't you ship it why don't you make it year round and blah 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 there's all these complaints about like oh, you just do this to build the hype and that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, they do because they can, you know, they're they're brewing a great beer. Now, you can find a triple IPA that's probably fairly comparable, maybe cheaper somewhere else without or you could just buy it year round or whatever. I mean, there's beers available or beers that are just as good or that people think are just as good or whatever. And that that's fine. That's fine. You know, if you like Lagunitas IPA and, you know, you really like that IPA and you like drinking that all the time and you think like, well, why don't I just get the Lagunitas IPA and enjoy that every day? Like, I'm not going to go overpay for Pliny the Younger once a year and stand in line for four hours. Okay. You know, like, but I'm going to. (laughs) I do too. So maybe, yeah, maybe I'm only theoretically interested in price point. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm sure there's different levels and... (laughs) But for me, well, I think the difference would be that for me, like I'm almost always chasing some sort of experience like that. I see. Which is like basically other than like briny melon and pseudo sue, I'm basically always trying to try something new. Yeah, like, that's cool. There aren't a lot of beers that I just buy in large quantities and want to drink all the time. You're just continuously exploring. 
exploring like new stuff and also trying to get those like hyped up experiences i don't know it's just it's weird it's part of the fun of the hobby i would say yeah i think so yeah it's part of the game and that's that what's funny is that i get kind of stubborn sometimes like for a while i just did not like these new sours you know the new like smoothie sours and you know i think if you even go back to the trends episode where we talk about lactose sours and stuff like i'm kind of not not on, on board <laughs> i'm like fully on board now <laughs> what happened i just had some good ones yeah and so now you're you're sold in the style and now i'm like seeking out the best lactose sours that's like oh. all i want now is oh lactose sours because i want to find all the good ones like all the best ones you heard it I, first on episode 13. <laughs> well, because now, like, once you have a good one, it's like, oh, okay, now I know this can be this can be done well, right? So now I want to find all the good ones because yeah. I really liked, I really enjoyed this beer. Now I want to go find who's doing it well. That is the danger too of like what's popular because there's guaranteed to be a lot of people doing it not well. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Because they're just trying to cash in on the hype or the whatever is in right now. So they're just pushing stuff out to kind of yeah. have a beer in that style. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're good at making it. Yeah, I mean, they maybe just don't know how to use it. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I mean, like, you know, I've had beers with uh, graham crackers, right? And or like key lime pies, like full key lime pies thrown into the brew. Um, you know, one beer could use the the graham crackers in the mash, the very beginning in the you know in the grain bill. It's just part of the grain bill. Another one might like it, you know, like the brewery that throws the key lime pies in at the end during fermentation. You know, you, they could throw graham crackers in. Like all those, like when you add it to the beer, how you add it to the beer, all influences like what what and how much of those flavors comes through so again i don't always know the specifics of how each beer is brewed but i'm always chasing you know the best versions of a certain style and there may be some beer that really uses graham crackers and cinnamon perfectly in their beer i mean they just they put it in at the right time and and the right amounts and they just nailed it and i mean some of that comes from experience with the brewery um and you know how much experience the brewer has with working with these ingredients and sometimes it's probably just dumb luck um <laughs> for sure and, and so it's also probably dumb luck that some of these beers just turn out poorly <laughs> you know yeah i mean these breweries are trying to make a beer that tastes good and they just don't always succeed at that <laughs> i hate to like fault the brewer i mean like man you suck at making these lactose sours but you know <laughs> That's fair, I guess. <laughs> you know, like, like, are you just, you're, like, you're trying to be bad, aren't you? <laughs> They're trying to like, be good. Nobody's this, trying to make bad beer. Yeah, this yeah. is not working out. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, then, that makes sense. So Yeah, I, but I'll get on board with the style. I mean, it's going to happen with barley wine when I finally decide to dive dude, in. Dude, you got to get It's going to happen. A, I'm going to get some barley wine, and I'm like, oh, crap, now I want to find old, all the best Go buy Old Foghorn from, uh, yeah, right. so it has... Has that cool history, but then I also I think that's a really good barley wine. Well, what's interesting about that barley wine? It's only like eight percent. Yeah, there you go. It's a very mild barley wine. Entry gateway. Yeah, gateway barley wine. Eight <laughs> percent gateway. <laughs> yeah, no, that's an intense style. 
Okay, well, you did mention buying online. So our next topic was local versus online. And I think Stephen and I both do a little bit of both. Um, we both use Tavor. Stephen used it for a long time, so he has more experience. I kind of fell into it during the pandemic. He used to take trips to Total Wine because it was close to my work, but I've been working from home. So it's a pretty far drive. <laughs> my commute to work is quite far. Um, so it's cool. It's a big drive when you're just going to Total Wine. It's much more convenient when it's just on the way home from work. You're already there. So I started relying on Tavor, but um, it is expensive. But then you can get things that not, are not locally available to you. So that is that is definitely a choice. And then I know, Stephen, you can probably speak to... Well, tell me a little bit about your Tavor experience and then also speak to... I think you tried to crack shack out. Yeah. So Tavor, I've really liked. I've had basically almost all good experiences with them. It kind of throws people off um, because I'll tell them like, oh, I buy beers online on this, you know, this uh, Tavor app. And they all like just assume most people assume that it's some sort of like beer subscription. Or they just send you beers every month or something. But the cool thing about Tavor is that just a couple times a day, usually like two to three times a day, they'll release a beer give a nice description of it and give you the chance to buy it if you want to buy it and sometimes there's limits on how many you can buy sometimes there aren't or sometimes if you buy more you you save a little bit of money but however you want to add it to the to your to your virtual crate um you can so again like i said i rarely buy more than one of anything um which again costs me money because if you buy more you usually save more but again i, I never quite know what i'm getting always you know and so there are beers that pop up again that I've had before. It's the only way I've been getting Toppling Goliath beers for a while. Um, so when those pop up, of course, I buy a, little, a few more of those. But, but yeah, I generally just use singles. But it's nice because you add it to your virtual crate. You can do that as much as you want or as little as you want. And your crate just fills up. As, as long as you've bought a beer and it charges you automatically. As soon as you reserve that beer to your crate, it charges you. And it reserves it for you. So you know for sure you're going to get that beer. And then uh, you can move your shipping date around, but uh, whenever you're ready to ship your crate, you move your shipping date up, and it's $15 flat shipping for however many beers you have in the box. So the more you kind of stuff your crate, the more value for shipping you get. Again, I've had great experiences with the Tavor. Um, sometimes they're local delivery because they have to basically send it, and then the local carrier gets it and then finishes the delivery. Um, they don't have a lot of control over the local carriers, and so you can have issues with them. And I have had issues with them, but their customer service is great, and they do a, a pretty good job. I've had beers that were infected that you know that exploded when I opened them, and they've always refunded those beers. So it is a good experience. And it's a really good way to try stuff that you just absolutely have no chance of finding anywhere else. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, I've had a, a very similar experience. I've gotten a lot of cool beers. Um, the local delivery part is the worst part. <laughs> so they pull up my crate uh, at someone else's house, like about five houses down. <laughs> and the only reason I got it was because it had... Um, for whatever reason, the label they put on has your email. So the lady was nice enough to email me and say, um, there's a box for you in front of my house. And I was like, ah, my precious beer. So I was like, thank you so much. And I went and got it from her. But obviously, that's not their fault. It's just the they are handing it off to like a local logistics company. And 
They'll seem to not be the greatest. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The other hard thing, too, especially like during the summer, is that you just have no idea what the temp control is going to be for that beer. And with so many styles now, I mean, I don't even, I guess like basic sours, I don't really care what happens to them. Yeah. I guess some stouts, maybe I don't really care too much, that kind of stuff. But IPAs, these days I want them all temp controlled, (laughs) always. And and then especially these heavily fruited sours, uh, those are the ones that usually end up being the ones that explode when I open them. Um, because they referment, the fruit they add after fermentation ends up refermenting and creating a bomb inside the oh, can. Oh, is that what happens? Mm-hmm. Fascinating, and that's why it like gushes out. Yeah. So if you can keep it cold, you you know you prevent that. the the yeast don't ferment. Yeah. Ah, okay. I never knew that. Well, and I feel like too they have ones with lactose in them now too, and I don't know. <laughs> right. Mil- like, do you really want those milk sugars getting really hot? I don't know. Yeah, temperature control is so important these days in beer, especially with the heavily fruited sours. So I have basically stopped ordering any of those on Tavor. And that's a, um, I don't use Tavor very much now because of the styles that I'm interested in are just not ones that travel well. So <laughs> especially IPAs. I mean, if you add an IPA to your crate, but you don't end up shipping that box for a month, and then it takes a week or two to get to you. You know, yes, it's probably super snobby and nerdy to be like, oh, I don't want to, I want to drink IPAs at their peak freshness. But I do. <laughs> <laughs> Unapologetically, I want to drink my IPAs super fresh. Nice. Um, and so, honestly, I kind of reserve the IPAs to my local brewery, like on tap. Okay. Because then I, then I know I'm getting pretty fresh. Here. So that's basically the antithesis of ordering on Tavor is getting. Now, are you pretty big into like getting um, a crawler or growler fill or? No. No. No, because I don't like the pressure of feeling like I need to drink it right away, which you would really have to do with a growler. And it, there's like 64 ounces of beer. Yeah. It's just too much. It's even too the growlers much. are, I think, are still big or even like 32 ounces. Yeah, I think some of them are 32. 32 ounce crawlers. Uh, I don't know. It's just too much beer and too much pressure. I'd rather just drink it on tap in a glass. Yeah, like a pint at the bar. Just go back if I like the beer. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. And that's obviously going to be way more economical when you're just getting it on tap. Yeah, I mean, I think if you can take out a lot of the overhead costs of packaging and shipping and uh, any middleman markups and stuff definitely going to save money and you're going to get fresh beer so well and the nice thing too is if you're buying it like, directly from the brewery they're not sacrificing like um part of their cut to any middle middlemen you know it's supporting local business yeah which is always good especially yeah. if you have very good local breweries <laughs> <laughs> um and then the other uh the other online service i've been using is craft shack which i just discovered pretty recently and they have an amazing selection of beers. And they're always changing because it just depends on what they have and what they're getting and what they sell out of and stuff. But uh, but they really do have an amazing selection of beers and an amazing selection of breweries. The problem with Craft Shack is that if you're going to make an order, you have to make an order right away. 
So say one beer comes up that you're like, oh, I really want that. Like, for example, just recently, Hetty Topper from The Alchemist came up on Craft Shack. Oh, White I mean, Whale. That's a White Whale beer. But I wasn't ready to get on there and make a whole big order from Craft Shack. Because if I just buy that one beer, like that's just not economically. It's like $30 to ship from Craft Shack. It's, it ranges from like 25 to $30 to ship. So I'm not going to buy one Hetty Topper or even just a six pack of Hetty Topper. It's just not like not worth it. It's only worth it if you're going to make a big order of a bunch of beers. And I just wasn't ready to do that. So that's the restriction of Craft Shack is that you have to be ready to make an order that you're also ready to spend $30 to ship. Because <laughs> that, that good stuff is going to disappear, huh? And it's going to disappear. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it was. Within a few days, it was gone. So Interesting. So you got to go on there when you're ready to spend. Whereas Tab some... or something good pops up and you're like, oh, you can reserve it right in your crate and you know you got it. Even right. though your box may not ship out for four or five more weeks or something. Right. You're building that crate up over the course of like a month. Whereas with Craft Shack, you got to go, you got to buy a whole crate's worth in that transaction. Yeah. Yeah, that's stressful. Mm-hmm. Because you want to order enough that's worth the shipping, but then, like, do they have enough stuff in stock that you want at that moment um, yeah, to justify exactly. that shipping cost? And the costs are, the costs per can are ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. Like a 12-ounce can of left-hand brewing, uh, here, I'll try to give a good example. Left-hand brewing peanut butter stout, which you can basically find anywhere. $5 for a can. 12-ounce can. Oof. Like, that's stupid. Yeah. Like, and then you got to plus the the, Yeah, plus the shipping. It makes it like a $10 can of beer. It's so dumb. So what you got to do is you got to use our price per ounce calculation yeah. and figure out how much a, a six-pack would cost at that price per ounce. It's probably like $100 <laughs> with the shipping. Well, like, look, if I can get 10 beers... Actually, let me see. Let me think. If I can get six beers... Six singles, 16-ounce singles of really cool stuff like Weldworks or something like crazy uh, lactose sours, stuff that I really want. If I can get six 16-ounce cans, that's probably going to cost me with shipping like 60 bucks. So about $10 a can, mm. which yeah. is kind of crazy. So that's a $60 six-pack. Yeah. Yeah. But these are beers that I really, really want to try. These are like Weldworks sours, like that fruity pebbles sour, or um, just crazy stuff. Stuff I just cannot find anywhere. Yeah, that's so, your. Uh, the price well, it, for the hobby. it speaks to the what you were talking about earlier in the episode about, you know, seeking out those experiences. Yeah, I'm just perusing Craft Jack right now, and they even have like they have variety packs, which are kind of cool, where they've already like picked out all the beers for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're pretty expensive. So they have one featured right here. It's a hazy IPA gift set. It's 12 packs, um, but it includes shipping. But it's 110 bucks. So, I mean, yeah, you're almost at $10 a can, including exactly. shipping there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, look, these are always going to be the, um, the barriers to getting beers from places across the nation, especially breweries that don't have uh wide distribution it's just the challenge of packaging and shipping and covering all the, these companies overhead costs 
Uh, it's just the price of trying to get beers from other places, which is, you know, I mean, it is a, it's a reason why I'm, you know, I personally am trying to, we have new breweries popping up every day in the Austin area. It's ridiculous. So my access to craft beer on tap, it's incredible. So I'm trying to move towards that a little bit of going like, oh, stop chasing these like white whales and stop chasing these premium experiences and just start going to my local breweries and trying them all out. Yeah, so you're kind of changing your approach a little bit. Yeah, I think it's better, like, economically speaking, yeah, it will probably save me money. But but just, uh, I don't know, I think getting away from chasing the peak experiences and just enjoying the beer that's right here. You know, it's just a different mindset, but like a more healthy mindset. <laughs> Well, it almost reminds me of the kind of experience we had at um, the Bail Breaker, where it's like almost everyone in there was a local and a regular. Yeah. And they had a different, they had a much different relationship with the beer and the brewery itself. I feel then it's kind of what you're kind of talking about capturing. It's like developing that relationship with your local brewery, which I think can overall be maybe even a more rewarding, more rewarding experience in certain ways than like chasing Hetty Topper. <laughs> Yeah. But well, I really another thing one. too is that um you know we have a few of these like boutique beer shops and bottle shops that have I mean they're getting some pretty good stuff. The one that I've been going to uh, is fairly new. I was talking to the guy, the owner, and he just worked in beer distribution for 30 years and he's made these crazy relationships you know he's formed all these relationships with tons of breweries all across the nation and so he knows he knows his craft beer he knows what people want and um now he has his own little bottle shop so he's able to he has the relationships so he's able to get all this cool stuff from around the country Uh, i'm gonna start going there more you know because one it supports a local business and he's willing to listen, you know, like, hey, do you have this? Or, you know, he'll write it down and be like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to reach out to them and see what I can get or that kind of stuff. So it's a, a more community feel for me as well where I can go, you know, and yes, I probably still will pay a premium for buying beer there, especially the singles. But I would rather pay that there than paying online with all these shipping costs and stuff, too. So, yeah, that makes sense. It's almost the best of both worlds. Yeah. Because you're supporting the local business, but you're getting access to stuff you can't get access to. Exactly. And we have a similar place, actually, in my local area that I haven't been to for a long time. But just you talking about that is kind of making me excited to go check it out because <laughs> I don't know what they have. I haven't been there for about a year or so. Going to have to take a visit and see. Yeah. Well, yours is fun, too, because they have like stuff on tap as well. Yeah, they do. Right. Unfortunately, it's like... I have moved now, so it's a little bit farther from me. And, um, yeah, I should get back there and just, especially if I'm in a situation where I have a driver and I can (laughs) enjoy myself. Because the other thing that's cool about that place is not only do they have a lot of things on tap, but about 50% of their inventory, bottled inventory, is cold. And um, you're allowed to just purchase something, and then they're happy to let you drink it there. 
So if you don't see anything on the tap list that interests you, you can just peruse their inventory and pick something and crack that open. So it's a pretty cool environment. Yeah, uh, that is the nice thing. Mine is the same way. Like they charge you a dollar to pop it when they're drinking on the premises or something like that. So yeah, there's a little corner. Um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. It's very fun. So you go you just grab something out of the beer fridge and then you hold it up and and he looks at it, he's like, oh, okay, yeah, I got you. Puts it on your tab and you pop it open and drink it. It's, it's really oh, fun. Oh, you have a tab. Yeah. You are a regular. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so those are our main topics. Did you want to get into the economics of making beer? Um, I mean, we don't have to spend a lot of time. Um, I think that could be know, its own episode. Yeah. I mean, I think there's always this, um, you have to rationalize, you know, the beer costs and it's easy to be like, oh, this craft beer just like costs way too much money. Like why, why does it cost so much more than the craft log or the, you know, macro loggers and stuff. Um, but it is, you know, we talked about time, uh, some of the aging processes for sure factor into the cost. Um, but just hops, getting good quality hops. There have been, you know, hop shortages recently with with so many breweries making um, super hopped IPAs and stuff. So there's always going to be a demand of hops that can affect the cost. There's always different um, availabilities of water. And, you know, if your state is in a drought, it's going to cost you more to make your beer. And it, it does take a lot of water not only to make the beer but to wash all the equipment and stuff so a lot of water goes into that process and um, your malts you know i mean your macro loggers they use barley but they also use some rice and corn which are you know cheaper subsidized grains you know a lot of craft breweries want to use the the best malts and the best barleys so uh you know there's always going to be a premium for getting the good stuff and that's why it's the good stuff <laughs> <laughs> well some of the barley i know we've been reading we're both reading the the beer bible and some of the processes that go into some of the barley production and grain production seem very expensive <laughs> exactly <laughs> when they're doing it in like traditional fashion and stuff like that well um, this that's why home brewing is a hobby it's not a way to like save you money making a batch of beer it's a hobby it's an expensive hobby because not only do you need to get the equipment which is fine that's more of a one-time cost but going out and getting the ingredients for your beer you want to brew it's not cheap (laughs) it's not cheap at all and then you've got to have you know if you bottle it or if you have you keg it with co2 you got to keep your kegerator clean and your beer lines clean and that all just takes time and products and money and you gotta have co2 you gotta have, make sure your co2 tank is full so there's a constant costs and, and so uh, your beer probably doesn't come out oh yeah and it tastes like <laughs> well, we'll keep it clean dog poop <laughs> <laughs> you gotta refine uh, your process a, a number of times before <laughs> you get real good beer yeah so you know i've made batches of beer multiple batches of beer now and maybe got like five or six really quality glasses (laughs) (laughs) you know so so again but it's just an example of how like getting the ingredients even just as simple as getting the ingredients and the water and everything costs money and 
when you make in, in bigger batches, especially like the macro loggers, that's going to be cheaper because they're going to make a lot of it. That's quantity over quality. And they have the economics of scale. Yeah. That's why you're going to pay a little bit more for craft beer, but I think it's worth it. Worth the price of admission. It's worth it for the peak experiences. It's not just hype, people, okay? We do have a podcast about it, so. Yeah, that's true. That's pretty weird. I don't think we'd have a podcast about something if it wasn't awesome. There's no Budweiser podcast. <laughs> hey, we done, yeah, how many episodes do you think we could do a podcast where we just talk about Budweiser? Half of one. <laughs> <laughs> I bet we could do like 10 episodes. Yeah. We get really when we get bored when we're on like episode 200. We're gonna get we're gonna give it a shot. We're gonna do a mini series, ten episodes on Budweiser only. Okay. Okay. Write that down. Yeah, you, you could probably make it happen with like the history. And, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. So yeah. yeah, you could do it. Search it out. Old docu series on <laughs> but, the history of Budweiser. This one, Brought we'll to you by that, uh, by uh, attenuation. We'll save that for our Netflix special. Okay. When they pick us up. <laughs> Any date now. Check the email. See if they email us. <laughs> Speaking of the email. <laughs> oh, your segues are just seamless. I know, right? That's why we're going to be on Netflix. Um, our email is contact.attenuation at gmail.com. So you can send us emails. We'll respond to you, theoretically. And probably a more direct route is to reach out onto us on our Instagram, which is attenuation.podcast, where we have over 30 subscribers. Followers? Subscribers? Followers, followers. Followers. Come on, man. (laughs) But yeah, so that was our topic. And then before we close it up, I do want to give a final rating for my beer. I'll give it a thumbs up. Yeah? I would drink this again. Um, There's a... I think it delivers on its promise of the laundry list of flavors it has a pretty interesting and complex entrance and then it kind of falls off the cliff a little bit um, but then it has a nice like vanilla cinnamon aftertaste so a little bit missing in the development but overall it's it's good i mean it's it's definitely it's what it's advertised to be it's a pecan pie pastry stout yeah if you're looking for a pecan pie pastry stout <laughs> you get one. one yeah and it's 12 percent so You'll have a good time. It's it's funny because that's very similar to mine. Like, not a great development of taste throughout, but a nice lingering pineapple finish. So a nice flavor at the end. Yeah, that's good. Sometimes that is good. I mean, a finish can be very important. Yeah. Taste the leaves in your mouth, man. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I'll give this a thumbs up. As far as this episode, I think that's going to wrap it. So my name is Jason, and I'm joined by my best friend since eighth grade. That's Steven. That's me. <laughs> you did it. I'm gonna have two, I'm gonna have cue cards for next episode. I'm just gonna pause and then make sure I say the right thing, and then I can just edit it. Oh, it's that semi-polished experience. Yeah, polish it up. <laughs> All right. Well, this is episode 13, and we are bidding <laughs> you adieu and cheers. Till next time. All right. Cheers, man. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Attenuation of Your Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Instagram or Facebook for more fun content. Catch you next week. Cheers! Cheers.